Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, closing out the week here on Dunked On. Got a lot of interesting stuff to get to, but before we do that, Danny, what did you talk about with uh, Pelton? I know you just recorded with him. It was great. We we went through his dynasty rankings piece, both the methodology and some of the takeaways from it. And then we talked a little bit about The Last Dance, which premieres on Sunday. Looking forward to that. And then we talked actually a little bit about today's exciting NBA news, which I know you and I will get into as well. Yes, we will. Also for me, COVID Daily News with Ben Taylor. He and I talked about the concept of immunity and how important that is determining what will determine how immune we are after recovering from the virus and what that means for our eventual return to some semblance of normality so check that out you can just search nate duncan in your podcast player to find that uh, or search covid daily news and please tell your friends uh, about that podcast so yeah this is big news here it seemed like this was a very orchestrated rollout that the details of this plan became available at the exact time that Jalen Green made it public that he would be participating in the program. It seems like all of this was negotiated. And what are the details of this program that Jalen Green is going to be participating in? Green, a potential candidate for the number one pick in the 2021 draft, a really athletic shooting guard prospect. From what we know so far, it is um, it, it will pay players up to around five hundred thousand dollars, maybe a little bit more than that, just through this. Of course, they will because they will be professionals. They can get endorsement opportunities and all that. It will provide a one-year development program outside of the the kind of the affiliate team structure, which was something that I always thought was necessary because the incentives are just so yeah. different for a team affiliate than for a for a standalone process there also uh, there was some reporting yeah from- and, and quickly to, to break in on that uh i know you've been talking about this for a while but for people who don't know the reason is there that normally like any 18 year old has always been able to go to the g league a couple have tried it but the problem is they're just playing on a g league team that's affiliated with an nba team that wouldn't then have their rights so they're basically just another guy in the g league that team doesn't have the incentive for them to develop they're also playing just about exclusively against men and so it just wasn't necessarily the greatest development environment uh and so this is going to be different now it will be and it sounds like they're the team will be located in a major market we don't have all of those details yeah, yet la seems like uh what some of the reporting is has indicated and also the hope will be that coalescing whatever 
star talent, you know, elite players on one team can help raise the visibility of that team, help cover some of the exposure gap between playing in the G League and playing on a, at a major college. And there, there also this reporting, I think Chris Haynes had this first, that there's there's going to be some sort of scho- college scholarship available to these players should they want to do that in the future, which is which is great because then it's they don't have to necessarily choose, though they, I mean, hopefully will be making enough money that they could just pay for college themselves. Yeah, but, that was always one of the most ridiculous tropes from the stay in school crowd of like, yes. Oh, you're forgoing your education. It's like, you know that like money can buy you an education, right? If you want to go back to school, you can do that with the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars that you'll be making if, yeah, if and you it, go it, to the NBA. If only, if only professional athletes, you know, they're never going to have time to do that. Even if it's after their career is over. Oh, wait, that's right. They're all retired by 40 and most of them are retired far earlier than that. And another important part of this, this got into the idea of, you know, having it be a a separate thing from the affiliate structure. There is a, they're calling it a year-long development program with G League oversight that will include professional coaching, top prospects, and veteran players that will combine training exhibition competitions against G League teams, foreign nationals, and NBA academies. This is from the reporting, I believe, from John Cavoni and Woj. And that is, again, a positive understanding that the incentives here, the motivations are very different from the G League and that you need to actually put resources behind this. This, You know, you could think another example of this is the idea to parallel it with when a general manager, let's say David Griffin, when he went to New Orleans, it's not just how much are you willing to pay for players? Are you willing to go into the luxury tax? It's facilities, it's resources and all that. And this is the NBA and slash the G League putting, hopefully, some real weight behind this. And, and that's the type of resources that these young players need in order to make it a preferable option compared to like the Rising Stars program in Australia and some of the other things around the world. Yeah, you recall that in 2018, they introduced this program that nobody did because it was only $125,000. And that really wasn't that much better than college, especially depending on who you talk to. But players might make more than that in college. And then they also were expected to just go to some G League team. They didn't have any control over where they were going. There were the issues with development that I already talked about. And you know, 125k wasn't really that much. This uh, for Green 500k. The story said that it's going to be elite prospects. Indications are that for players who aren't quite at Green's level, you know, you could be looking at more in the 250 thousand dollar range. Uh, Isaiah Todd, who's the number 13 player in the uh, ESPN 100 coming out of high school, uh, decommitted from Michigan this week. He could be a possible player on this team. Uh, McCour Maker and a couple others who I've never heard of before. Well, and something else that's interesting about that possibility that came out in, I think that was the Woj Cavoni piece, is that this is also an avenue for international players to play in the G League too, which would be a, a fascinating change of course when you consider that we've had talented American high schoolers going abroad, that it could theoretically entice certain internationals. I mean, there are a lot of other options for them, but depending on the structure, depending on where what country they're coming from, and especially if they're players who the NBA is their end game could be fantastic and obviously there are internationals that are also playing high school basketball in america that this is an option for too apparently it is also particularly interesting because we don't know what the college season is going to look like next year whether they're going to be fans 
whether they're even are going to be on campus normal college life which presumably uh, appeals to some players um you know and it seems like this is a much easier situation to have a controlled environment they're not going to be playing as many games that they'll still be getting access to nba quality coaching presumably uh, medical care recovery as well you don't have the distraction of going to class you know the risk of going to class potentially uh as well uh so maybe we will see some players decommit and also decide to do this for this year because college is less viable than it ever has been and it'll be interesting to see what kind of money they're willing to put behind that are they willing to you know shell out like five million bucks total to get all of the these players Uh, who knows but it it did seem like this uh, going back to what we started with was a very pr focused rollout all these stories came out today they were all pre-written so clearly they knew everyone knew this was in the works for a while and they wanted to have this headliner Jalen green uh, to really get the ball rolling that 500k to put that in perspective it's a little bit more than what a player on a two-way contract would earn if he spent the maximum amount of time with his nba team but it's less than the rookie minimum which is right about nine hundred thousand. and as i mentioned before the players in this will be able to make money through other means as well uh the the there is a quote that the earnings package for jalen green i think this uh, i can't remember if this is from haynes or from one of the other reporters about this. Uh, that that was from from champs i think it, yeah the, and, and it was also reported in in the espn piece in the they, espn piece about he, that the, he could he, be have a seven figure shoe deal right and and that's a great opportunity and i mean i i think back to players like renardo sydney and just the the option of trying to lock in some of the money yes there is a distinct possibility that some players going through this program will end up with agreements outside of that like shoe deals that look comparatively small but remember that they're locking up that money ahead of ahead of when they're allowed to right now i still am a firm supporter in reverting the age limit and and a lot of the other things but this is a it is a definite step in the right direction and an interesting discussion to have is that i'm a little bit concerned that teams because of the risks you know and and some of the discomfort with having nba teams in high school gyms and some some of these other especially from like pr perspective some of these things maybe teams will see this as a as a sufficient band-aid to not actually fix what should happen here but this is a better option than some of the other stuff so i'm really torn on that i still think the age limit needs to be fixed and it seems like from from the basic reporting that's been out there previously that a part of the issue here is that the owners are trying to use the age limit to get concessions from the players who don't really have the same incentives there and yeah. i mean so so yeah it could and, be. and for those who don't recall real quickly that uh, the concessions that are reported that they're looking for is basically to get all medical testing in a centralized database where you basically just have to do that if if you're going to be in the draft which uh agents and players have pushed back on because they want the ability to manipulate where they might end up to not give medical records to certain teams etc so and but the league now seems to want this and they're trying to ask the players association to give something back and the players association is like you want this why are we giving something back so that's why negotiations have stalled as far as i can tell yeah, that's that's same that I could tell. And yeah, we're 
how how prevalent this path is going to be is a, is a big question and something Pelton and I talked about when we uh, when we discussed this a little bit is that taking some of these players that at least clearly intend to be one and done you never know if that's actually going to be the case if they had gone to college out of the collegiate program sure it takes talent away but remember elite some elite high school players aren't going to American colleges anyway and that before that many elite high school players weren't going to college at all they were going directly to the professionals you know Garnett LeBron obviously among them and it is possible that this ends up yielding some benefits for college basketball. I mean, I'm, I've, I know some people have said that it's the death knell, and I disagree with that, partially because the appeal of college basketball, as somebody who loved it and who fell in love with basketball through the college basketball system as a collegiate student, is not necessarily tied to always tied to player quality and those players becoming stars in the NBA. There are many college stars that end up not being that for many reasons. And because the, the NCAA tournament is its own thing you know that it's not about choosing a deserving champion it's the wild of having a 64 game single elimination tournament the excitement the pageantry and i think that this is a you know this will open up a path for a small selection of players but i think college basketball is going to be it'll be affected by this but in terms of ratings and all that i think it's fine yeah you make an interesting point there what another thing too is that it looked like there were going to be things coming for college that where they're going to have to allow players to at least profit off of their likenesses and it still may behoove players given the massive marketing that could come from college who knows maybe sponsors would be like you know nike would be like hey you know what? we'll pay you more if you go to a nike school and you build up your profile like uh zion williamson did at duke as opposed to taking this route to where that five hundred thousand still wouldn't be that much and then you also get to build up your popularity you get to go to college etc etc um so so that'll be interesting It'll also be interesting to see how public the games are for this team there's this idea that they're going to bring in old pros who are kind of at the end who are, are looking to transition into coaching or management to be kind of the role players on this team how competitive are the games going to be when this team plays i would imagine pretty competitive because these these players are playing for their future and then the teams that they're playing against whether it's the nba academy or whether it's the games against g league teams that aren't going to count in the standings so those players in those g league teams will know that all the scouts are watching that so they'll well, and they'll not only the scouts but odds are those are going to be more televised have more right eyeballs on them than anything else too yeah so be very interested to see like how the hype machine for this team which Shams did report by the way that it will be in Southern California how the hype machine for this team is going to get turned up what the level of publicity is going to be compared to college and you definitely get a $500,000 head start on that, but maybe it's still quite possible you would get more sponsorship if this whole name and likeness thing gets uh, sorted out with the NCAA. But no matter what, I'm so happy there's another path. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, not everybody is going to make the quote unquote right decision for them, but having another another way for players who are, you know, 17, 18 to make meaningful money, especially those who want to be in the United States, whether they are American or not, and to do that, to not have to deal with going abroad and some of the cultural stuff of me even going back to before Australia had their system in place, like Brandon Brandon Jennings in Italy and the, the, some of the challenges, I believe he was on Roma, that came from the language barrier and cultural and everything like that, to have, have it within the country in a, uh, in a, a city that is deeply rooted also, I mean, has two NBA teams, or Southern California, we'll speak broadly there, it is really exciting. And 
that maybe that you know maybe it, the separation helps college basketball because it means that they'll get more players who intend to be there longer. The one and dones have wreaked havoc to an extent with the system, but also you know as you talked about the interplay of this with the likeness questions that are going through college sports right now. It it's just a better ecosystem for people who needed a better ecosystem. My other question that I, I haven't seen answered anywhere. I assume the the answer to this, but I don't know it is. What happens after a year? Are you just automatically draft eligible when you play here? I mean, presumably you can't go to college. Well, I, th- I, mean, I think I think you I think there's a my instinct is that there's something in the CBA that I think player America players who go to American high school who then play professionally are automatically eligible the next year because I think uh, that's yes, true with that's with right. Lamelo Ball. Like that's you know those yeah. players are all automatically eligible. So I think that it resolves itself through that. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And yeah, who knows? Maybe this is a chance for Europeans to get on more equal footing. If you have a player, for example, who doesn't know English that well, you can bring him to the U.S. It, it takes having playing against these good players that are his own age and practice some in the G League and you remove some of the mystery uh, you know, a lot of those players have contracts and buyouts and stuff where it might be a little more difficult. But, oh, thank you yeah. for bringing up buyouts. That's another reason why I'm really excited about this is I don't think it's going to be hard for these players to get into the NBA considering it's the G League. You know, it's not going to be any of that, which the Australian teams were benefiting from. But I think NBA teams are going to be super thrilled about this that they don't have to pay a buyout. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point, too. And especially with the travel restrictions now for Australia, it's kind of too bad. I, I mean, I really respected what they were trying to do. I yes. liked it. I thought it, it was genius. And, uh, and they I, deserve I, a lot I, of credit for making this happen. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the NBA also has the advantage of uh, not being 13,000 miles away <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, and certainly a lot of teams are going to be happy to not have to go down to Australia. Also, interesting to note here that Green's contract is going to have bonuses for things like appearances and also games played, which I think is important because what they wanted to avoid was a player doing this, starting off the season pretty well, and then just shutting it down so they could get drafted. So it appears that there will continue to be a financial component Uh, but the one downside of this is you know this isn't necessarily a competitive environment like there's no championship to be won for this team and yeah it's nice to have uh, these individual games and stuff but to be to not be part of a team that's working throughout a season to get to a goal i mean and yeah you know a lot of college teams you know anthony edwards like this year his games pretty much were exhibitions uh, by the end or mark harrell fultz in 2017 but to not be a part of a team that actually can win something i mean that to me is at least a slight negative that it's not particularly you know it's just not a good replication of a competitive environment you're going to have minutes kind of being gifted it's really just more of more of a showcase than like an actual team environment the coach probably isn't really going to have much of an option of like benching these players or something like that to like force them to learn better habits um so that is one downside like it would be nice if there were a way for them to like really compete to try to win something and maybe that's it happens in the g league showcase where they're apparently going to be part of it uh, something along those lines but uh, hopefully they will find a way to make it so there are competitive things that they're working for outside of just hey let's go out and win this game and showcase yourself I would love to see it. And there's plenty of incentive to try to make that happen too. Okay, we got a little more news. Let's take a quick break here first. So I thought this was noteworthy, even though it's not NBA. Two NFL players 
including Von Miller, have tested positive for coronavirus. I just thought that that was noteworthy because it does highlight some of the difficulties that leagues are facing. You know, if they're just getting, if they're just testing positive now, just showing symptoms now, presumably in the last week or two is when they would have contracted the virus. And like, if you're the an NFL player who is making millions of dollars, presumably you're in as good of a situation to socially isolate as anyone. And Miller, I mean, I, I, I'm just guessing here. Maybe this is old news. Who knows? But it seems like he and this other player whose name escapes me, uh, I think it was like an offensive lineman or something. Um, they are not really, I guess, adhering to the letter of social distancing. I mean, maybe, or maybe there's someone around them who's visiting them who's not adhering to the letter, or maybe they live in a jurisdiction where you're not under a stay-at-home order, whatever it is. It shows you some of the difficulties that NBA teams may face with their players. If you have to police 450 players and then all all of the support personnel and then all of their families and all this stuff, uh, it's not a great sign. Um, And then... On the good news front, though, Sam Amick reporting, he wrote a long piece today that he pulled owners, management, players, agents. There seemed to be a growing optimism that the season could be saved in some respect, that the players, in contrast to baseball, because the NBA is like relatively close to being done with their season, that it wouldn't be as much of a sacrifice as baseball would have to do, where they're going to play 162 games with everyone in a bubble and be away from their families and stuff. The NBA doesn't have nearly that much time. So it's not as big of a sacrifice. So he, he had some hope that, you know, Adam Silver was uh, on that call with the president and there's a, the president wants them to be restarting. The president wants a lot of things, but uh, at least it does seem like federal authorities will be supportive uh, as they supposedly are of this baseball thing as well. So, I mean, it's been so long now, Danny. And like, I just, the idea that like, we might actually have basketball to talk about again, it's just like, it almost seems just like a dream <laughs> at this point. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, the other piece of news is the we're st- still getting some names out of Chicago. Arturos Konishvitz is trying to find the what will be the equivalent of an assistant GM. They will have the title of general manager because he has a higher yeah. title than that. I, I guess the one difference I'd say is that teams sometimes have multiple assistant GMs. Oh, and that's, when they that's go this, you know, it's like it's more of a clear number two. It's like vice presidents in this. a company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so the general manager is kind of like he, there's only one of them, even when you have this president of basketball operations or executive VP of basketball operations. In this case, I think that's the title uh, that Arturis has. Uh, but yeah, so he's uh, he's got some names there. Yeah, um, Mark Hughes of the Clippers, Matt Lloyd of the Magic, and Mark Eversley of the Sixers, who are all currently AGMs, assistant GMs with their current teams. Lloyd actually spent time, came up as a scout with the Bulls uh, early in John Paxson's tenure and then moved to the Magic. I think it was in the 2012 or so time frame. And Eversley was brought in to the Sixers with Brian Colangelo. I think he was in OKC before that. And then Hughes was with the Knicks for a long time. He actually played at Michigan. I think he was on their 89 championship team and uh, very well respected he was with the Knicks for a long time, and then uh, with Lawrence Frank being elevated, they brought in Hughes. Uh, he does uh, player personnel stuff for them. Um, Ian Begley reporting out of New York that uh, new Knicks decision maker Leon Rose may be leaning towards Tom Thibodeau as the new coach. Um Thibodeau certainly, to me, did not cover himself in glory in Minnesota. It seemed like a lot of his 
approaches like playing two bigs together for example were had grown a little bit antiquated he wasn't able to get that team to defend at the level that he did with his bulls team he, he graded on some of the players but for whatever reason thibodeau does seem to be pretty popular among a lot of stars uh, maybe just going back to like his series against lebron back back in the day where lebron always felt like his defenses were really difficult Def- definitely had crack. a positive working relationship with jimmy butler yeah it seemed like it although he also <laughs> So Butler also left and Tibbs kind of put his head in the sand about that. But, you know, it doesn't look like Tibbs would be a have any front office power, though things could change rapidly in New York, certainly. Uh, But of course, there's also the CAA connection there with the Thibodeau represented by CAA Rose, former CAA agent. And there seems to be a lot of thought that that would happen. But, you know, Thibodeau is also close with Van Gundy, who is on the outs with the the Knicks. But it does seem to be at least uh, some sort of a rapprochement. Is that that how you say that? Pretty good. Uh, with with the Knicks, and there have also been a, times where the CAA has had a, a ton of influence with the Knicks. I mean, I do think that uh, hopefully they'll actually do real interviews seems kind of like when you brought rose in that there there's an expectation that it would be tibbs tibbs also uh in a in a, another story expressed confidence that he'd be a head coach in the nba next year uh, i mean i really at this point i would be looking for new blood instead like i don't think that tibbs did enough in minnesota to say yes like let's bring him in again like the, to me he, tibbs has a better resume than norv turner but the idea of like whether somebody who has been successful as an assistant more successful i would say in some ways as an assistant than as a head coach but who has had struggles more recently than that deserve you know whether you'd rather give that person another shot or a new coach and like i mean we saw jenkins in memphis i thought that he did pretty well and you know might, might as well i would rule the dice on somebody new call it injury notes john wall reiterates that no matter what happens he's not going to return this season and in phoenix james jones said that frank kaminsky uh, with that fractured kneecap is finally good physically and that kelly Oubre has healed from his uh meniscus knee surgery as well okay let's uh talk a little more on our agent review series this is kevin bradbury who is under the aegis of bda sports was founded by bill duffy we talked about duffy and neiman namakian a couple of days ago i guess about a week ago now let's start we always do these in alphabetical order a a few notes if you haven't listened to the series before we're going to go through try to give these agents grades on as judge of a criteria as we can on how well they did for their players relative to what the market situation was at the time and we can start here with Patrick Beverly. Beverly has has had an amazing NBA journey when you think about our professional basketball journey because his professional basketball journey did not start in the NBA. He is currently on a or was just finishing up a three year forty million dollar deal. Was previously on a four year twenty four million dollar deal. And especially when you think back to kind of kind of where where Beverly was early in his career, I, I think I think Bradbury and BDA have done pretty well by him. Yeah, he got squeezed a little bit in restricted free agency. Remember, he, he bounced around. He played in Ukraine for a time, then was with the Heat for a little while, then really found his way playing next to James Harden in Houston. So it was the summer of 2015 when he was a restricted free agent, and I thought Houston did well to get him on the deal that they did. It, it, that was a tough time because you knew the cap was going up, but he hadn't made any money yet in his career. He didn't have an offer sheet in restricted free agency. He was the starting point guard at the time, but you know he was just getting six million. I mean, that's not 
unbelievable but then to get three years 40 million he did a nice job of playing the Mavs off the Clippers and getting that three-year 40 million dollar offer to remain in uh what was an excellent situation for him yeah and Beverly this came up when we did the point guard rankings being better at defense and not being as strong at running in an NBA offense being that lead center back that could expose him in certain other circumstances and I think part of what being an agent is is not only you know maximizing your earnings potential and I, I spoke I, I misspoke before Beverly signed through the 22 season I, I was getting getting different Clippers conflated in my head um, but I think that being in a position to succeed also being on a championship contender obviously is 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 a benefit assuming that's what the player wants and so i i think i think those are considerations that go in bradbury and, and beverly's favor so i would give him a c and remember again this isn't business school a c is average we're going for kind of a, a normal distribution here in terms of our grades so c is totally fine that's you got what was blocked for you there give him a c for uh, that deal in restricted free agency back in 2015 and again by the way this information is it's pretty hard to come by as far as who what agent uh, was with each player when so if you hear something about or you know something about like oh we got it wrong he wasn't representing him at that time please let us know we will gladly correct that this is the best i could do from publicly uh, available information um and then i think a, a solid b plus for uh that three-year 40 million dollar deal that he got especially now as he's getting into his early 30s that was uh good work there from uh bradbury with patrick beverly next up is hamadou diallo who came into the draft in 2018 was the 45th pick got a three-year minimum contract and the third year is a team option so it's not the same incentives as like the Nikola Jokic one where you decline the option to ensure that they hit restrictive agency but that does mean that the last year wasn't guaranteed money even though i expect the thunder to pick it up yeah and 45th pick uh, pretty good there remember there was a trade actually i think of that pick from orlando Lando to OKC and Diallo you know maybe he had been a higher ranked recruit at times but his jump shot was so limited that it was hard for him you know maybe 45th is a little bit lower than you might have expected him to go but this is but the two guaranteed years yeah yeah are you sure it, it was two guaranteed years oh do we know that for sure I'm checking my old database yes I have my my old records have it that the first two years were fully guaranteed and the third year was a team option yeah, that's pretty solid. I'll give that a, a B. Not bad. PJ Dozier has been a, on a two-way in Denver. I'm going to just do that a not applicable there. I, I don't remember him being you know some prospect where he should have got drafted, but uh, it, th- that's just kind of don't have enough information to really make a call uh, on yeah. that one. So other than I, being I, the just... most, fa- other than being the most famous 35 ever in Oklahoma City Thunder history. <laughs> yeah, Frank Jackson, three-year deal right around the minimum uh he got a partial guarantee on that third year drafted 31st overall in that 2017 draft ended up missing that whole year with a foot issue i don't think that there was an expectation at the time though that he was going to have that foot issue linger into the season and so this is and you could say maybe you should have got Frank Jackson drafted a little bit higher. You know, he was on the Hoop Summit team. He, he was McDonald's All-American, played it, uh, at Duke's pretty high profile. Uh, but it, I think that's, I would say this is just, you know, that's a pretty standard contract for someone drafted 31st. And so I, I'd just go with a, a solid C. I don't see anything particularly that stands out either way for him uh, on that. Yeah, that seems fair to me. We could transition to another Duke point guard 
Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones was a landmark before before his his most recent contract. So the only one we get to look at is the the three year mid level exception deal that he signed with Memphis in 2019. Yeah, Minnesota did not match it. When you move to another team in restricted free agency, when you get an offer sheet, that is really really good work. Uh, and I mean, especially to get very solid backup point guard money for Jones, who was coming off a pretty miserable year. He looked like he was on a very good path uh after his first three years uh, and then just couldn't throw the ball in the ocean his fourth year so to still get that type of a deal uh, in memphis uh, yeah really, and, you know, and do a team that clearly needed a backup point guard that had minutes to offer and while he didn't have starter upside was getting paid good money for three years i mean is there any reason not to give that an a no especially when you consider that right you know who was previously on memphis got the same money and i thought had a had a better resume than tyus jones at the time even though i've liked tyus jones for a long time frank kaminsky went ninth in 2015 given the fact that like michael jordan got had all these crazy offers apparently from the celtics to move into that spot to take justice winslow rather than kaminsky but the hornets were so wedded to kaminsky that by the way drafting kaminsky is an underrated reason why the hornets were not able to make the playoffs these last few years um so i i would give that a solid i mean kaminsky was coming off a really nice season for wisconsin but he was older he didn't really have a clear position in the nba i mean i i thought he was way overdrafted uh, at that time in 2015 so i mean that that to me is a solid like b plus at least to get him drafted ninth to to uh sell him to michael jordan maybe that would have happened anyway and then to get kaminsky a deal at the room exception yeah there's a team option in the second year but for him to get the same amount of money in that first year as like established solid backup center options like an ed davis or ennis Cantor, uh, i thought that you know that was really impressive to me and kaminsky ended up you know, as we just talked about uh, missing a lot of the year with that fractured kneecap and we'll see whether phoenix picks up that team option but i think to even get him close to five million guaranteed was impressive i thought kaminsky yes. was just going to be on the minimum yeah i mean it was i would especially when you consider the oversaturation of big men and while kaminsky you can sell that he's a shooter so that's something he brings that other big men do i mean i just don't think he's particularly good so getting him five million dollars even if there was a team option for the second year hey take the five million and run what would you give that one like a a minus a a minus a minus i mean it's not it's as good as you could do but it's not just like so spectacular yeah um Evan Turner had previously been with David Falk uh, when he was recalled drafted second overall in 2010. Then he, he signed a two-year deal with Boston that worked out pretty well for him. And then it was a four-year, $70 million deal in that halcyon summer of 2016. And yes, we do have to adjust on a curve for anything in the summer of 2016, but you know, if you compare, say, like Turner, he got pretty much the same money as Kent Bazemore. Again, this was like, I don't know whether it was Portland's idea or the agent helped sell it, but remember the whole idea is like, oh yeah, Turner will kind of be the on-ball guy. He can kind of play point guard and then we'll play Damon CJ off the ball, which was just an absolutely <laughs> stupid idea. We said it at the time, just like how ridiculous that was. But to find a way to sell that was pretty impressive. Well, I and mean, I mean that it- was always... And yeah. when you consider, I mean, somebody at some point, maybe this is Jason Quick, doing a story on Portland's 2016 offseason, like the things that didn't happen and then the things that did, it's absolutely remarkable. I mean, holy crap. Yeah, I mean, they were trying to get Pau Gasol at one point 
uh chandler parsons they're in the mix uh, on him and the, but and they had like these small cap holds on guys like myers leonard and mo harkless so they ended up bringing those guys back but they also had all this cap space and, but anyway whatever it's an a you got evan turner four years 70 million just uh just go cash it in um this is one where the performance wasn't as good robert williams fell to 27th and yes williams certainly had issues with his health supposedly his knees got red flagged big time maturity issues as well you know there's only so much that an agent can do for that but he was being talked about in the lottery to the point where we even did like a mini scout on him thinking that he would be you know late lottery and then he fell all the way to the celtics at, at 27 so yes there were legitimate reasons that williams fell and that was a good draft but I mean, I think you probably got to go with a, a D for that, maybe even worse. Does it get to be a D minus just because, I mean, granted, I'm not saying this is necessarily Bradbury's fault, but when your client doesn't show up for his for his draft interview, <laughs> the post-draft interview because he missed the flight? Yeah, and when he gets the, the name Time Lord now, I mean, there's only so much you can do as an agent. Right? Sure. Like you, but uh andrew wiggins they he actually signed with bda or actually no it, it was bda that really negotiated that extension and then wiggins moved to caa so definitely get get some credit for that one i mean that you know that's what the reporting indicated i'm not sure how much of a commission uh they actually ended up getting from that i think i i recall some reporting at the time that indicated that partially they're going to get some money out of that from a commission because uh they negotiated that and then he, he moved on to ca before he actually signed it but uh pretty good work there to get andrew wiggins just the straight up no questions asked max so that's a solid uh a solid a minus there i would say um I mean, would you feel any differently any agent involved in getting andrew wiggins a max contract deserves an a i'll go a minus just because he left andrew wiggins left him before they actually said so something must have gone wrong there at least slightly uh zaire smith uh left rock nation and joined in october 2019 so don't have a ton to say there i mean you could make the argument that trying to get smith traded at this point would make the most sense for him because he really has been mired he's now behind matisse thibault in philly it doesn't look like he's going to have much of a path to get off the bench but uh not applicable though is ultimately what what i would end up with him he hasn't really had a chance to do anything of significance Agreed. so far all right well, we can pack it in for oh, this week oh no we got more well i've i've some plugs um so beyond oh, I, the, I thought be, we already we, no, oh yeah you i got didn't your do all my too, all right? my writing yeah, yeah. so yeah. uh beyond the real jam radio with kevin pelton which will come out on thursday so you should be able to get it now I, I did two pieces that released on Thursday, collaborations with The Athletic, um, one with Eric Nem on the Giannis Supermax discussion. We got into the, the financial differences, the logistics of, of signing that contract. And then with, with Rod Boone, we talked about Charlotte's offseason, potential targets, how much cap space they have, 2020 versus 21. And then I have another piece that should be coming out on Friday about the hypothetical obviously but there's no reporting on this yet the hypothetical on if the salary cap drops and i used 107 million so like basically like what would change if that actually ends up happening because as many people know this is a year where there aren't that many teams with cap space so i went through all of the ripple effects that would happen should that come to pass which obviously we don't know if it will all right then we will be back on sunday night talk to y'all then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 